church, but I just can't. I love to fellowship with God's people, but I'm just too busy. And let me tell you something. Again, backsliding is never a blowout. It's always a slow leak. One night, well, I'm just too tired to go to church, so I'm going to sit here and watch this one-eyed monster tonight, and I'm just going to just relax a little bit. And the next week, it's a little bit easier, and the next week, something else comes up. And, stuff. and then when the pastor comes out, oh, I wish the pastor wouldn't bug me about this. You see, the pastor has to answer for your soul, but he's not responsible for what you do when you are exhorted. And same thing, there are many people that come to Christ. I can tell you of people in the past that I know accepted Jesus Christ and Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, during the week they're out calling, witnessing to other people, going to Bible studies, going to, to special meetings. Today they'll go to Sunday morning church and their kids and their family will go to the beach on Sunday afternoon and during the week they're too busy, absolutely too busy, can't do anything. And I just see them get further and further and further away and then all of a sudden you begin to see the old habits starting to come back in their lives. Jesus wept when he told this story. There are going to be many people who are going to come and believe in Jesus, but never come to that place of total commitment. That's why I said there has to be true salvation includes repentance from your past sins and faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You commit your life to Him. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus Christ as Lord, Adonai, supreme master of your life, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is even though you are faithful in witnessing, you're going to find some people who will make a, quote, decision, but that doesn't automatically mean that they are saved. That doesn't automatically mean they're going to make it to heaven because they have not counted the cost. Jesus said, when you come to me, count the cost. Like a man starting to build a house and he doesn't have enough to finish it. And people say, look at that fool. He started the house and didn't finish it. Like a man going to war. He starts the war but doesn't sit down first of all, make sure he's got enough men and material and money to finish the war and win it. And he loses the war. God says, Jesus says, don't be like that when you come to me. If you come to me, you sit down and count the cost. And what is the cost? Everything. I simply want you to know that every time you witness to people and some of them make decisions and start going to church, don't be discouraged if five or ten years down the line they're not going to church anymore. They're not following after the Lord no matter what everybody has said to them and what everybody tries to do to keep them going close to the Lord. Why? Because Jesus said it's going to happen. But then verse 15, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. Emphasizes steadfastness, perseverance, locking their teeth like a pit bull. Not going to let go, Lord. That's why I keep telling you, I'm not too impressed with what kind of a decision you made back there. The question is, was it such a quality decision that it still is affecting every area of your life today? If you said Jesus was Lord back there, then if you don't have to make any decisions anymore, that you're acting on that decision you already made. Today, when opportunity comes for compromise, you say, no, thank you, I'm not interested because I'm acting on that decision I made back there. They're the ones that are in the good soil and they keep it steadfastly with endurance and perseverance and bring forth fruit with patience. That word hold fast there also means, it's katecho in the Greek, it means to hold fast or keep firm possession of. I want you to think about this, what Jesus is saying here. Because Satan will discourage and close the mouths of a lot of things and say, well, I've witnessed, but it just doesn't work. I want you to know ahead of time that you can't expect fruit every time that you witness. And some fruit that you'll get will not be good fruit. Can't blame you. You sowed good seed, didn't you? You have to be concerned about the soil it falls into. It has nothing to do with the seed. Listen to me. It has nothing to do with the seed. The seed is absolutely good, perfect, 
It can't be added to or take, shouldn't be taken away from. You plant the seed, but don't worry about the soil. God's concerned about the soil. You and I are to be witnesses and declare the word and let the seeds fall where they will and let God bring forth the increase. I'm going to show you this. Now, Paul the Apostle says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. There is laid up for me, therefore, a crown which the Lord hath for me. Not just for me, but for all of them that love is appearing. He said he had fought a good fight. He had run a good race. And he had finished his run. I want, to, I want to show you some of his run. Acts of the 19th chapter. Acts chapter 19. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. You know, he's the guru of witnesses. If I may use that term. He is the, the chief one that's supposed to show us how to witness for Jesus Christ. Acts, the 19th chapter, beginning with the 8th verse. Speaking of Paul in Ephesus. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months. He went into the, into the synagogue and preached and taught for three months solid in Ephesus, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. The Living Bible says, telling what he believed and why he believed it. Three months. But when divers were hardened, when different ones were hardened or stiffened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. This continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. I want you to see something. Paul stayed there for three months teaching, and it got so bad that some people began to speak evil of the very thing he was talking about. He didn't say, well, I might as well quit. It's just not working for pity's sake. I mean, I failed. I'm not, I, if I'm really a call of God, they're all going to respond to me. He realized they don't all respond to you. Jesus had a rich young ruler come to him, and he said, forsake all that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And the young man walked away from Jesus. Now let me go back again and tell you, you and I are not soul winners, you and I are witnesses. We say the facts that God has given to us in His Word, we lay it on them in love and in concern for their souls, and you let the Holy Spirit do the work He wants to do. And there are going to be some that are going to turn away from you, some that are going to resist you, some are going to argue with you, some are going to lie about you and belittle you, say all manner of evil against you, for Christ's sake. You can walk away saying, bless God, I won, I got the seed planted. All the farmer has to say, i got my seed planted, the crop's got to come, I've planted the seed. Some of them may have fallen on hard soil, some on shallow soil, but i got the crop planted. Now the seed's got to come forth, we just keep planting. Don't get discouraged when every time you do it. You see, we're not in control of the harvest. We're just the laborers. Under authority, totally dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those that we witness to. It's the Word of God, not our words. It's the Word of God that's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Our responsibility is to declare through the foolishness of preaching the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those round about us. God didn't say the, the wisdom of preaching. He said the foolishness of preaching. God takes the simple things of this world to confound the wise. The absence of a positive response to your witness and mine is not a failure on our part. Let me say that again. The absence of a positive response when you and I are witnessing those round about us, understand that you're not always going to get a positive response. Someday you may get a punch in the nose. So bless God, you can bear in your body the marks of Jesus Christ, like Paul the Apostle said. 
you're not always going to get a positive response. And if you don't, it's not failure on your part. I want you to look at Isaiah 55 with me. Isaiah chapter 55. Beginning with verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. See, Isaiah didn't say, call on him when you feel like it. Seek the Lord when you feel like it. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. There's only certain times a man or woman can find the Lord. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. That word return is teshuba, or shub in the, in the Hebrew, which means going in this direction, turn around and go in the other direction. Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. He said, just like when the rain comes down on the ground and it goes up from the mountains and up from the ocean and back up over the mountains and down through the rivers and streams and it waters the valleys and all the earth and the crops come forth in the same way, he said, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I have sent it. God says, don't look at it according to your perspective. My ways are so far above your ways and my thoughts so far above your thoughts. You may think, well, that's defeat. And God says, no, that's victory. It accomplished what I wanted it to accomplish. How many of you know that when Moses told Pharaoh ten different times to let my people go and Pharaoh didn't do it, God still accomplished his purpose? How many of you know that Pharaoh is infamous for having had a hard heart? How many of you know he lost? God says, it may look like you're defeated, but you're winning. Look at Ezekiel, the third chapter, beginning with verse 16. And it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require where? At whose hand? At Ezekiel's hand, wasn't it? And the same thing is true today. Jesus said, go and be witnesses throughout the whole earth. And if we're not witnesses, I want to tell you something, we're going to be rewarded for what we do and we're going to be rewarded for what we don't do. If God has given you and me abilities and talents and told us that we're to serve Him with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, with all of our might, and love Him with all of our heart, and we hold back different areas of our life, we'll answer to God in that day when we stand before Him. We hide our bushel, lights under a bushel basket, our talents under a bushel basket, God says, no, that's not your talent, that's not your gift, it's mine. I've given it to you. And I want you to bring forth fruit from that gift. Yet, verse 19, if thou warn the wicked, and he what? Turn not from his wickedness. Well, now, wait a minute. I planted the seed in his heart. He should have turned. God says, when I warn the wicked and he does not turn, when you speak to that man and he does not turn from his wickedness, what does it say? Yet if thou warn the wicked and he turn not from his wickedness, 
nor turn from his wicked way. He shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Get this down into your heart. When they receive and when they refuse the word of God, you can turn around and say, bless God, I won. The hook is in them. They'll never be able to stand before the judgment bar of God and say, you didn't tell me. Paul said, I am clean and free from the blood of all men. Why? He said, I have not withheld anything from you. I've declared the whole gospel to you. And I want to tell you something. When God lays something on your heart to say something to someone, and you say it, and they get mad at you, you walk away and say, bless God, I got the hook there. The hook is there. I can tell you stories of where children were in daily vacation Bible school and learned verses and courses. And they walked out of there, didn't get saved, got away from God, went away from everything that had to do with the church, went into the military, went over into to Vietnam. And when they were sitting in these cells in North Vietnam in these hutches and these prisons over there, no one around, they were in a personal and complete isolation. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit brought back to them. This is 20 years later, brings back to them those verses they learned when they were in daily vacation Bible. And the seed was planted. You know, I can still remember coming from farming community when I was first learning how to plant the garden, I would go around and dig up the seeds to see if they were growing. How many of you know that's a no-no? You don't do that. Let's see if they're growing or something. No, no, you just plant them and you leave them and let God bring the increase. Again, when a righteous man, verse 20, again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Now, listen, dear heart, I don't know what that means, but I don't like its implication. How many where you work, and how many where you live, and how many where you go to school, someday will point at you and say, why didn't you tell me? Who else is supposed to do it? Well, I was in hopes that you know somebody else would do it. Somebody else doesn't go to that school. God says, you and I are to let our light shine wherever we are. Yeah, but... They might get mad at me. Oh, they're going to. I'll show you that later on. Nevertheless, verse 21, If thou warn the righteous man and the right, that the righteous man sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live because he is warned. Also thou hast delivered thy soul. Now, let's go back to that parable Jesus gave. He said, first of all, that there was one place where the seed fell and the birds took it away. One where the sun came out and scorched it and it died. One where the weeds and the cares and the, and the riches of this world choked it out. That's 75% of examples, 25% of the examples uh, brought forth 30, 60, and 100 fold. 75% lost, seed lost, 25% fruitful. You know what happens? We go around and we witness to one or two people and they don't respond or they get angry with us and we say, hmm, I better just kind of quiet down a little bit. You're not shooting for the odds. See, a farmer says, if it takes this much seed to bring this forth much grain, I'll, I'll put more seed out, so I'll get more grain, put out more seed, and I'll get more grain. I'm trying to remember the exact amount, but a fuller brush company used to train their people. I believe that they were expected to make 50 calls on houses, knock on 50 calls to expect one sale when they first got started. 50 calls for one. Let me tell you, that's a lot of doors to have slammed in your face. But you see, Satan comes along and says, ah, not working. See, you're no good at this. You might as well get... They're gonna, you're going to have the whole world mad at you before long. You better shut your mouth. You have to stop and say, no, 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 no. I've only, I'm only getting 25% of my crop, so I've got to plant a bigger crop. If you'll ever get this down in your heart, you'll begin to, begin to sow the seed with expectancy and persistency and confidence. Now, in case you're expecting a warm reception, friendly reception when you preach the Word of God, 
Get your Bibles out and get your ink pens out. I, I want to eliminate that thought immediately. All right? Jesus didn't call us to run a popularity contest. He called us to preach a very unpopular message. You're going to be confronted in the days ahead more and more with this fact. The sin of this generation, we're told, is intolerant. This is the latest message of the New World group. The sin of this generation is intolerant. It's not disobedience to God. It's not the rejection of Jesus Christ. It's intolerant. And the ones we've got to get rid of are those rabid, homophobia, religious bigots called radical conservatives. You know why? Because we're standing here saying, well, there's only one way to heaven. Are you trying to tell me that all these people, all these people, all these people are going to go to hell? The Word of God says there's only one way of salvation. Are you trying to tell me that these very fine people over here are not going to go to heaven and they're more religious than you are? The Word of God says you're just a radical, intolerant person. We're not going to put up with you. Let me tell you something. They're right. Christianity is the most intolerant religion, intolerant faith on earth. I want to tell you something. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. The Muslim faith isn't going to do it. The Shinto faith isn't going to do it. They may be wonderful people. They might be fine people. They may be the most, most talented people in the world. But if they're lost, they're lost. For there's salvation in none other save Jesus Christ. Oh, that's awfully narrow. Yes, it is. And Jesus said, straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads into everlasting life. And few there be that find it, but broad is the way. And many there be that go in thereat that leads to destruction. And many there be that go there in thereat. So if you're expecting a nice, warm, friendly reception when you begin to witness to people, you're being deceived. And I want to get that out of your craw tonight so that you can begin to know what to expect. And when it happens, be prepared for it, all right? Fifty doors slammed in your face before you make one sale. So get ready for it, all right? Scriptures, Matthew 10, 22. Matthew 10, 22. Let me just go back to verse 21. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Luke 21, look at it. You see, the wonderful thing I realize is this is not my ministry, it's God's ministry, and it's not my word, it's His word. I'm just His servant, and if I say His word, if people walk out this door and do not act upon the word, I've won because they can't tell me that I'd failed to declare the whole gospel to them. Luke 21, beginning verse 12 through 17. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, and it shall turn to you for a testimony... Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what ye shall answer, for I'll give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist, and ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinfolk and friends, and some of you shall shall they cause to be put to death, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, beginning with verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. 
but all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. 1 John 3, verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. I'm trying to get across to you that you're not going to get a warm reception when you begin to take a stand for Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, I, the world doesn't hate me. I mean, I, I've got, everybody seems like me. I'm really popular at school or at work. How many of them have you talked to about becoming a born-again Christian? You know, the tendency today is they say, boy, you're, you're kind of different, aren't you? Well, I'm just not into that kind of stuff. Jesus said that you are to de- do good works and then glorify your Father which is in heaven when they see your good works because you say, hey, it's not me, it's Him. Since I invited Jesus into my heart, He made me into a new creature, a new creation, and it's not me, it's Him. Now, when they see you do it, they go, why is He like that? I don't like that. You know something? When I was smoking and drinking, I had to go buy my own smokes and my own drinks. And as soon as I became a Christian and quit it, I had more people offering me cigarettes and beer than you could shake a stick at. Why? They wanted to get me off of that kick. I mean, he's different from us now. Let's, let's pull him back down here. I don't like to see him where he, the way he is right now. I, I said to him one time, well, where were you guys when I was needing him? You know, now you're shoving him in my face all the time. What's the deal here? I don't need them anymore. I found that I didn't, don't need that crutch. I have found the one who supports me completely, even Jesus Christ. They didn't like that, you know. You really don't have to get rid of most of your friends. They'll get rid of you. That's why Jesus said we need to fellowship more and more with one another. Now, the response to all this trouble you're in, look at Luke, the sixth chapter. I know we're going through a lot of scriptures, but you see, this is the seed. I want to get the seed down in your heart. Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 22. Miserable are ye when men shall hate you. Blessed are ye. That means happy, excited are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. How many of you recently, when somebody really got mad at you and told you off because you're a Christian, went around saying, glory to God, hallelujah, I got the seed in there, and now they're all upset. That's all right, Lord, I just continue to pray for them. You continue to speak their heart, bless God, and I'm just going to keep loving them no matter what they say to me. In contrast, how many of you go in your room and close the door and sit there and have a pity party? Woe is me, oh my goodness, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going out and eat worms. That's our natural tendency, isn't it? I'm a Christian, I just can't have any friends. Oh, you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And you need to develop friends amongst your own, those of like faith. I don't know what I'd have done in my hometown had not been for my home church. I really don't. I went home, sat down, bowed my head to return thanks like my sister told me a Christian is supposed to do, and my dad sat there and cussed at me. I started to go out the door and say, don't tell me you're going to that church. Every time that church door opens, you've got to be there. First thing, get your foot in the door, first one, don't you? No, Dad, I don't have to do that, but I really want to because I really need what they've got to offer me down there. And I'd go there and I'd just soak in everything I could get from the body. And you know, that just absolutely amazes me today when people just say, oh, well, if I happen to make it, I'll make it. If I don't make it, I won't make it. I say, what is going on? What's with you? You don't understand that we all draw life from one another. He said, when you get persecuted, begin to rejoice. Oh, yeah, but what if I lose my job? Let me ask you something. Who's your source anyway? If that paycheck is your source, you've got problems because that paycheck can be taken away from you that quickly. God's your source. And he says, you humble yourself, I'll lift you up. 
I've seen time and time again when somebody's been faithful to God, God's honored them, and he didn't have to do it through some specific channel. He's always got a better way of doing it. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Matthew 5. And by the way, I, I don't ever want to hear anybody cry again because people get mad at you when you witness, because I just showed you what the Scripture says there. Rejoice, jump up and down, get excited and be happy. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are they which are persecuted for doing dumb things. You know, some young people say, you know, since I've been Christian, I mean, my mom and dad are just all over my neck, and I call their folks and say, yeah, I'm all over the neck. They're in their room listening to Christian records when they're supposed to be doing the dishes or raking the leaves or uh, washing uh, the walls or scrubbing the floor or something I told them to. I mean, they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good, and that's not what's supposed to be around here. Well, they're right. You see, when you become a Christian, you do those things that manifest that God has done a new work in your heart, and then you go and have those other spiritual... As you think, uh, Let me tell you something. You know, doing things around the house can be more spiritual sometimes than going in and listening to Christian records. How many of you know that? See, it's not what you hear, it's what you do. It's what you say. To make people realize whether you're... You know, I've, I've heard some... Some young people come to this church in, in past years and they say, oh, glory to God, I'm growing in the Lord. And I call the parents and say, they're sloppy in their room. I can't get them to do anything in their room. They won't help me with the dishes. They won't help clean the house. They just, all they want is money. All they want is to have, don't bug me, Mom. I'm too busy serving God. I tell them, garbage. That's not serving God. First thing, if we love God, we obey His commands and that is to honor our father and our mother. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And let me tell you, if you don't do what you're supposed to do around the house and your mom and dad get after you, that's not being persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely, falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. How many of you know the prophets have been honored by God and their past ministries are held up as an example unto the believers? How many of you know that Ezekiel and Jeremiah went to them and God said, I'm going to make your forehead like flint. You're going to butt heads with a bunch of hard heads. You're going to knock heads with them, but your head's going to be harder than theirs. And they're not going to listen to you, but that's all right. You keep on saying what I tell you to say and don't worry about what they think or what they say about it. You just keep on saying what I say and I'll bless you. Now, if you won't do it, Jeremiah, he says, you look out, I'll move you to the side and I'll get me another man that will. I want to tell you something. God doesn't need you and me. We need him. And he says, I sought for a man and I found none. And I wonder today how many God is going to find that are willing to say, Lord, I don't care what the cost. I'm going to be faithful in declaring the message that you've given to me. And if you and I sow and sow and sow and sow and sow and sow the seed and only see one saved in our lifetime, it'll be worth it. Because it isn't because of success, it's because of faithfulness that we're rewarded. I heard of a man that prayed and witnessed, prayed for and witnessed to three men for the last 25 years of his life. Every time he saw them, he witnessed to them, brought them gospel tracts, brought them Christian booklets, brought them, none of them got saved. This man died and went to heaven. At his funeral, all three of them came to Jesus Christ. 20 years of sowing and no fruit. He didn't see a thing. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways and his thoughts are far above our he has everything under control. If none of them had been saved when they stood before God, they couldn't have said, you weren't faithful, you didn't tell me. That's what I'm concerned about when I stand before God. Am I faithful in telling those around me? You know what the gospel says, except a man be born again, he cannot sue the kingdom of heaven. He'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. I don't say that. The seed says that. 
whatever the soil is that's in your heart, you have to receive that soil and know that it wins no matter what. Whether you are saved or lost, after you hear the Word of God, the work is accomplished. Jesus said, go into all the world, let all the nations hear this message. Jesus said to the disciples, when you go into a town and they don't listen to you, shake the dust off your feet and walk out victorious. You won. Because he says in that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it was will be for that city because you have given more light to them than Sodom and Gomorrah ever had. And I want to tell you something. I know that I have never tried to hide what the Word of God has to say that except a man be born again through repentance and faith, he'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I want to say to you tonight, if the Spirit of God is showing that you're not saved, you've never been saved, you've never repented and asked Jesus to become Lord of your life, you've never made Him a new creature, but let Him make you to become a new creature, then tonight you need to make that decision. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, but he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. I didn't say it. God said it in His Word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. If you and I have never repented of our sins and asked Jesus to come into our life, the Word of God says the moment we step out of this life, after the death comes the judgment. No more chance, no more opportunity. Let me tell you, young people, you can't say, well, I'm just young, I've got a lot of time yet. I've had so many funerals for children, I can't even count them. There's no guarantee how long we're going to live. But wherever we are in our life, God says, come now and let us reason together. That's the first thing. You need to accept Christ. If you have accepted Christ, you need to reevaluate that commitment you made to Him on that day. Were you accepting a fire insurance policy or were you submitting your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, my gifts, my talents, everything that I have, all my possessions, they're all yours. I bow before you and say, Lord, let me be a faithful steward of all the things you've laid in my life. If you haven't made that decision, right now is the time to make that kind of a decision. And then if you've had a fear of men, you need to say, Lord, you said that that's a snare. And I'm to fear one person, and that's you. You said, fear not him that can destroy your body, but rather fear him that can destroy both body and soul in hell. Like I said, I don't know what it means when it says his blood will I require at your hand, but it ought to make us concerned enough that we begin to say, dear God, I don't want anybody's blood on my hands when I stand before you in that day. I want to be a faithful witness. Please help me to know what to say and how to say it to those round about us. Say what? Well, I'm going to get up and preach a three-point sermon? No. We just are a witness. You should memorize your testimony to where you can do it within 60 seconds to one minute. Yes, you're supposed to give a, work out a testimony within one to three minutes so that if someone asks you a reason for the hope that lies within you, you can give it to them within one to three minutes maximum. That way, you haven't gone beyond their attention span. And then you leave the results with them. But you'll find after a while you need to say, can you think of any good reason why you shouldn't accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior right now in your heart? And when you do that, that gives them an opportunity. And you didn't say, is it true that you don't want to accept Christ? But can you think of any good reason why you shouldn't accept Christ right now? Now, they have to come back with a good reason or else you may have opportunity to pray with them. I'm talking about after you see the Holy Spirit's working in their heart. Many times I've said to people, well, let's write down right now, what date this year do you think it would be a good time to invite Jesus Christ in your heart and ask Him to forgive you of your sins? February, March, April, May? And I've had them look at me in disbelief and say, well, right now. I said, oh, that'd be wonderful. So you give them a choice. And, uh, but the Lord says, if people get saved through your witnessing and your warning, praise the Lord. If they don't, 
There's no blood on your hands. You've been faithful to the Lord. Now, point number five, principle number five, the Lord of the harvest rewards every Christian who is a faithful sower. The Lord rewards you. Other people giving you thanks and other people praising you, if you if that's what you're looking for, you're going to be in trouble. Jesus said to the Pharisees, they go into the public places and raise their hands and pray in public. And he says they already have their reward. They wanted the praise of men and they got it. When we're talking about reward, this is why many times I say I thank the Lord for you and for what the, how the Lord is using you and I'll let him reward you. I'd rather have the Lord reward me anytime. Uh, our greatest reward, I believe, that we can have in this life is to know the thing that we're doing is pleasing Him. I can't help but think that when Jesus was here on the earth, the greatest thrill to Him was when He heard from heaven that voice saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am what? Well pleased. I can't think of any greater reward than that than to hear your Heavenly Father say, Son, I'm well pleased with you. And that day, when we step out of this life, to be able to hear Jesus say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, that's possibility for us. But the question is, what is the probability that we will hear in that day? Well done, good and faithful servant. First of all, I want you to know, seeing a person come to Christ can be one of the greatest, most rewarding experiences you can have. You see, God himself gets excited, and all of heaven gets excited, when someone accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so if all of heaven gets... You know, I don't really think that God got all excited when we sent off the first uh, rocket up into space with the spacecraft and all... I don't, think, I don't think the angels in heaven jumped up and down when that happened or when the first automobile was made or anything. There's a song out that uh, Larnell Harris sings about that with, the, uh, with this group, New Gaither Vocal Band. Yes, he sings about the fact when the first Ford was made that the angels in heaven didn't jump up and down and all the rest of it. But the Word of God tells me when a soul comes to Jesus Christ that things take place in heaven. It has eternal consequences. Turn with me to, so you'll see that. I want you to see it and get it down in your heart. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 10. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that what? Repents more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now, I want you to see something here. He didn't say he rejoices over one sinner that believes. Now this is consistent all the way through the Scripture. If I wanted to do a, a verse study with you, I could take it all the way through Scripture, and I've always said repentance is involved in salvation. That is a turning away from forsaking and hating that sin and quitting it. I say unto you likewise that joy shall be in heaven, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I had lost. I remember that was the nuptial coin he was talking about. I received nuptial coins, and I, I thought it was silly for a woman to have a whole fistful of coins and lose one, and after she finds one coin, throw a party and spend more than she lost. 
But it wasn't just a coin, it was a nuptial coin. Now, he's getting a point across here, verse 10 again, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner that repenteth. If you want to make heaven happy, then you witness and see men and women come to a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through repentance and faith. It's one thing to make our family happy, but what a blessing it is to make the Lord happy by doing that which he calls us to do. Turn to 1 Thessalonians, the second chapter. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 19 and 20. Paul the Apostle says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye... Who is he talking to? The believers in Thessalonica, the ones he had been instrumental in leading to Christ. He said, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ as at his coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. When we get to heaven, not only do we make heaven happy when we win someone to Christ, but when we get there, we're going to rejoice because that's going to be our joy and that's going to be our crown and that's going to be our blessing and our causing for rejoicing. You know, I think that if you're witnessing and sowing the seed on a continuing basis, you're going to be stunned when you get to heaven because there may be a lot of people there that you know nothing about having ever accepted Christ, but somewhere along the line you witnessed to them, and that seed was planted, and later on that seed came to fruition. Now, that doesn't mean anything about you being good or great or wonderful. It says that we're nothing. The important thing is God gives the increase, but He says that when we're faithful and there's fruit from it, the angels of heaven rejoice, and when we get there, we're going to rejoice. I really believe with all my heart the evangelist that held the meeting where I was saved knows nothing about whatever happened to me after that. I was just a little high school kid that happened to come forward that night. He has no idea the ministry that God has given me since then. And I don't know how many others he's influenced like that. But he's going to be stunned when he gets to heaven to say, I had no idea that I had that much of an impact for the kingdom of God in eternity. When you and I have an impact or an influence on someone else, they have influence on others and it just explodes. Now, if you ever want to get into a multi-level program, that's one to get into because the rewards are absolutely sure and the commissions will always be paid when you get to heaven. And the company is not going out of business, by the way. Bless God. And it makes no difference if man sees or man hears what you're doing and or man knows what you've done. But Jesus, when he knows and he says to you, he'll reward everyone. Every man shall receive his own reward according to what? His own labor. Now, may I emphasize that to you? Young people, listen to me. One of the greatest pressures that you have in school today is peer pressure. Fit in. Don't make waves. Go along with the flow. Go with the flow. I want to tell you something. It's the easy way to go, but it's the wrong way to go because one of these days, when you step out of this life, you'll step out of this life all alone with no one else whatsoever. Your friends, your buddies, the ones that are putting pressure on you to do this or do that or say this or say that or go here or go there. When they die, they're going to die all by themselves and they're going to stand before God and answer just for their actions and their works and what they've done and what they've said. And you have to separate yourself from popularity to say, what would God have me to do in this situation, regardless of what they say? I'm talking to young people right now, but I hope the adults are listening too. Because we get ourselves, even as adults, set into a life pattern where we begin to follow others. I mean, everybody's doing this, and everybody's thinking this way, and everybody's trying to achieve these goals. 
We have to back off and say, what is God's calling and purpose for my life? He's called me with a specific purpose to be a witness and a testimony for Him and to share the gospel with those round about me and to commit my life totally to the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever field I go into, I am to be a witness in that place. Now, based upon that fact, how should I conduct myself here in school? Can you imagine, just out of curiosity, how many students are there in Lake Mary High School? Over 2,500. Can you imagine, now just stop and think about it. Just imagine, all of a sudden, the second coming comes, and we stand before God. And when the great white, great white throne of judgment comes later on, and all 2,500 of those students from Lake Mary High School stand there before the great white throne judgment, those that are not saved, if many of them point their finger and say, why didn't you tell me? You knew, why didn't you tell me? I couldn't tell any difference between you and, and us. I knew you were different in some ways, but you never told me why. You know, that's a sobering thought, young people. I remember when my senior year in high school, I was concerned that there might be anyone, because I'll tell you, I lived like hell was frozen over before I was a Christian. And when I went back home this last time, this last year, and gave them a testimony in the morning service, I said to them, I said, you know, when I was here in Fremont before I was a Christian, I was mean as a junkyard dog. I just went around looking for a fight and something to snarl at all the time. And after the meeting, I went down in the audience, and one lady came up to me, and she said, Boy, you said it right, Joe. And I said, what, what do you mean? She said, Well, you don't remember me, but I was your neighbor. I lived next door to you. And she said, I would look out the window and see if you were outside, for I'd go out the door. You were so mean, you were always doing something to scare me or to hurt me some way. And I, I don't even remember that. But when I went back to high school, after I accepted Christ, the greatest urgency in my heart was to go back and let them all know that the old Joe was dead and that I had a new purpose in life. And I made a lot of enemies by doing so. I had a lot of guys that didn't want anything to do with me anymore. A lot of them thought I was crazy and they started calling me deacon my last year in high school. But I'll tell you, I'd rather be called deacon than chicken any day. And I'll tell you something, I don't, I, I don't feel the least bit bad about the fact that I didn't get involved in all these activities that took place in high school because if I had gotten involved, I would have started doing the things that they were doing, and I would have had to pay a price later on. They'd say, where's the difference? I'm not trying to tell you what your standard has to be, but I'm telling you one thing. Know your calling. Know that God called you to be a separate person with a real message in your heart. Repent, for the kingdom of God is nigh. Very essential that you understand that. It doesn't make any difference what they say, but the important thing is what is Jesus going to say in that day when you stand before him? Let me tell you, you haven't got many years to do this. What an opportunity for you to have a witness and testimony for Jesus Christ. Our first year, Beverly and I, when we had our first and second year in the ministry out in Colorado, we had a group of young people, larger than this group, but they were on fire for the Lord, and they went to the high school and had a Bible club, and in one year they had 330 or 340 young people come to Jesus Christ through that Bible club. There may be limitations and restrictions on you, but if you've got an imagination and initiative, Maybe God can use you to have an impact and influence in your high school, wherever it is. I want you to think seriously about that because God wants you to make a difference. Now, you see, you don't have to witness directly. I really believe that every person that's ever written a letter to someone and shared with them the, the burden that you have in your heart for them to become a Christian, I believe that if you've prayed earnestly for someone to be saved, God sees that. God's going to reward you for it. Some people can't go out and witness. They can't run all over and do that. That's why... I, I, you know, that's one of the weaknesses I see in the church today. It used to be the elderly people spent time, they didn't have television, they didn't have all these retirement activities where they were running off all the time, jumping in buses and going places as groups. 
They would be at home and they would spend hours and hours praying for lost people and praying for revival in the church. I can still remember in our church in Denver, Colorado, I shared this some years ago, a dear lady, 93 years of age, named Grandma Pierce. She could hardly see, but she would still go to the ladies' missionary group every Thursday and she would roll bandages as best she could at 93 years of age. And I wonder if I said, Grandma Pierce, you're such a blessing to my heart just to see you continuing to serve Jesus. She was a missionary in Africa. All of her children were. All of her grandchildren were. And when I was there, the, the, her great, some of her great-grandchildren went, and her great-great-grandson was being trained as a missionary in Africa also. And when I was talking to her, her daughter-in-law called me to the side and said, Brother Webb, let me tell you something about Grandma Pierce. She says, every day, I get this, she can't go around and testify to everybody, every day she goes in her room and for an hour and a half to two hours, She's on her knees. My knees ached when she said that. An hour and a half to two hours every day she's on her knees and she says she can't hear very well, you know, Brother Joe. She says, so when she's praying and crying out to God, we can hear her all over the house. And she's just weeping before the Lord for this missionary and that missionary and I hear her praying for you and Brother Sherm and all the rest of them here, the leaders in the church. And she's just, she goes on and on. She gets up and she's just as spry as she can be and says, bless God, I know God's going to hear and answer prayer. You know something, I believe that she probably has had an impact and an influence for winning people to Christ just as much as many of us that perambulate all over the neighborhood every day. It isn't saying, I can't do this or I can't do that, but I'll do what I can do for the kingdom of God and to win souls to Jesus Christ. I believe that when there's a Christian school teacher, that from time to time God's going to give them opportunity to just make an impact and influence on their lives. In fact, when I went back to my hometown last year, I sought out a teacher that I had my senior year in high school because she was so patient with me and so gracious to me. I was working full-time while I was going to high school, and she gave me extra limitations, I mean extra parameters, so that I could get my schoolwork done and get, get to work. And uh, she was always so kind to me. And I went back and found out that she was now, she had to retire because they found she had cancer and didn't know how long she was going to live. I went to her home and sat down, and I said, I just want to share something with you. You made an impact on my life. The kindness that you showed to me gave me evidence of the fact that you knew something in your heart that the other, many of the other teachers didn't know. And I come to find out she had been trusting the Lord for many, many years. And I said, you made an impact on my life, and I just want you to know that. And today I'm out in the ministry, and she says, you'll never know. She sat there with tears in her eyes running down her face. She says, Pastor Joe, you'll never know what a blessing it is for you to take the time and the effort to come back and share that with me because there have been times when I really thought, have I ever made an impact that's made a difference? You see, the Lord knows exactly what you're doing, exactly where you are, and He's going to reward you according to your own labor, even as a Christian schoolteacher. I think that pastors have to look beyond the present many times to see the reward that God has for them because it's not for success, it's faithfulness. I want to tell you, the devil tries to discourage you when you don't see the results that you'd like to see. And you have to keep saying, Lord, I'm doing everything I know to do, and if there's something else I need to do, please show me. And in the meantime, I'll continue to be faithful. Do you know there are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches closing every month in the United States? They, they gave a statistic in the magazine I just read lately that in one large denomination, there's as many churches closing every year as there are starting up every year. So they're just sitting there spinning their wheels. They said it's just incredible, the pastors that are leaving the ministry today. And I think that one of the reasons is the pastors are looking around saying, is it doing any good? They're getting discouraged. And Jesus said that we should be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
you're doing it as unto the Lord, doing it for the Lord, and you have to expect your reward to come from the Lord. I think that Christian parents have to realize when you've done all you can and said all you know how to say, you have to leave it with the Lord and say, Lord, you know my heart. You work out the rest of the circumstances. I commit it to you completely. You're the only one that can reward me. And if I have made a mistake, you show me. If I fail somewhere, you show me. And show me how to correct it. But in the meantime, I'm going to look to you because I'm going to do the very best I can with what I've got. And I think that person that's witnessing and, and just hands out a tractor, just says a, a word concerning the Lord to somebody else. Nobody else knows about it, but the Lord does. I remember one year when I was in Bible school and they used to require that we go out on on Christian education assignments. Of course, now they say everybody's supposed to be mature and nobody can be made to do anything in many of our colleges. But they used to have us be required to go to a mission or go out down on Skid Row and hand out gospel tracts. And I remember one year handing out a gospel tract and talking to a young man for about 10 minutes and he bowed his head and invited Jesus Christ in his heart. And when I went back to the dorm, I thought, Lord, what's ever going to happen with him? How will I know that anything has happened? I mean, this is nice to go down there and tell people about the Lord, but... What about the fruit? How can we ever know what's happened? By the way, that's one of the problems with evangelism, too. You go into a church and see people saved, and you go away, you're thinking, will they ever do anything? That's not your responsibility. Well, the encouraging thing was, the next year when I was sent down to Skid Row, we were driving along very slowly, getting ready to pull off to the curb, and I saw a young man standing on the sidewalk handing out gospel tracts to others. And it was that young man I had led to the Lord a year before. You see, I only had a few minutes with him. I couldn't follow up with him, but I told him I'd be praying for him, and I gave him a gospel tract and told him to read, to get a Bible and read such and such a book, and here he was, reproducing after his own kind, the way he had found Jesus Christ also. I want to tell you something. God, uh, Jesus, is the Lord of the harvest, and we're the laborers, and we have to ask him to give us the opportunity just to be faithful. I think a lot of times we can only be Christian friends and neighbors with people, and we may not be able to win them to Christ all the time, but we can always have an impact and an influence on them for they'll call us in the time of need. Time and time again, I've had people that didn't want to talk to me too much until things really got desperate, and then they'd call or they'd come to the house and say, you know, can, can I talk to you? Because they knew that we had a, a contact and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it isn't until many times non-Christians get into a foxhole situation that they begin to get worried. And that's why we really need to pray right now that the Lord will help us to witness to those whose loved ones are overseas. During the Second World War, many people started going to church. You see, they, they can't get a handle on that over there. They don't know how to protect their children. They don't know what it is to be able to trust the Lord. And when they find out that the Lord can watch over them and keep them, and if they even are killed, if they know the Lord, they'll go to be with the Lord. That's the important thing. But it's a wonderful opportunity for us to witness for Christ. Radio and television ministries, you talk about people that don't know what's going on out there. Do a lot of you listen to radio preachers a lot of times and, and have never had opportunity to send them an offering? Ever had that happen? Yeah, they have no idea that you're out there listening. And there have been radio pastors that have had an impact on my life, an influence on my life. Now, you see, when we get to heaven, there's not a, a word, a thought, or a deed that we've ever performed, the Lord says, but what we'll receive a reward for. And those radio pastors who have been faithful, and they're always having to worry about finances because many people receive a blessing but don't have opportunity to return. And I, I, I want to tell you something. I don't criticize you for that. There's so many requests today for finances that uh, it's absolutely impossible to keep up with them. Somebody recently wrote an article said that they kept all the requests for gifts and donations to, to Christian organizations and groups for one month in their home. And at the end of the month, they had 40 pounds of mail requesting gifts 
Now, what I'm saying, you're going to get a lot of requests for gifts, but you have to find out what's my priority as far as giving is concerned. Where am I being fed? Where's my family being fed? Where am I, what's causing me to grow the most right now? And then you're going to have to find out what else the Lord can allow you to support. If you try to support them all, you'll go just out of your mind because there's no way you can support them all. You have to find out what God's called you to do. But those that are doing it, God will take care of them also. See, the radio pastor, if God's called him to do that work, then he's going to raise up the ones that are going to support him. See, God's bank ain't busted, somebody said. He knows how to supply. But the important thing is, they also have to have the faith to believe that God's going to meet their needs. And again, this is a humorous story that I've heard and I've shared with you in the past about a faith preacher that was preaching over the radio and he was saying, you need to send for this prayer cloth. If you're sick or have financial difficulties and you, your bills aren't being made, met, just send for this prayer cloth and when we mail it to you, put it inside your billfold and you'll find the blessings of God will flow and that billfold will fill up. And when he got all through presenting this prayer cloth that was going to do all these miracles financially, he said, now, now please listen to me. If you don't send money to me right away, this ministry is going under. One guy says, put your prayer cloth in, the, in your billfold and see if it works. You know? But there are many gimmicks out there, and you have to be very careful. But again, those that are faithful, those that are doing what God tells them to do faithfully, the needs will be met. Now, I really believe there's, there's ministries that God raises up and then later on closes down. He doesn't mean for them to go forever. But if God's called us to a ministry and a work to do, then we need to do that work and leave the results with Him and know that we'll be rewarded for our faithfulness and not for our success. Point number six, principle number six, that the harvest is perennial. That means the harvest, according to the Word of God, for sowing and reaping is year-round. There isn't a certain time. You know, there's some of the large denominations, Southern Baptists, they'll have revival week. I think it's once or twice a year where all the Baptist churches at once have a revival meeting. You know, you almost get to think, people get almost into their mind, well, those are the two weeks we win souls to Christ. The rest of the week, you know, the time is ours. You have to be careful of that. The Word of God says that it's perennial. John 4 35. Would you look at it with me? John 4, 35. Now, Jesus had just been ministering to the woman at the well, the woman of Sychar, who he said, the man you're living with now is not your husband. You've had five husbands. The man you're living with now is not your husband. She said, whoa, I got a prophet in my midst here. Got her attention. He had a word of knowledge there that he gave to her. And she went back into the city and she said, come see and hear a man who told me everything about me. And the disciples came back while she was gone and wanted to know why Jesus, what Jesus had been doing. They wanted to get some food. And he presented this truth to them. They asked him if he wanted something to meet. Look, verse 32, And he said unto them, I have meat to eat you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him ought to eat? One of you guys gotten back here early with a McDonald's burger? How did he get food already? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Wouldn't that be incredible if every one of us would say that same thing? My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. To do the will of Jesus Christ that sent me. And to finish his work. Let me ask you something. If you and I don't know what our work is, how are we going to know when we finished it? If you and I don't know why Christ saved us and what his calling and purpose for our life is, how are we going to know when we got it finished? How are we going to know when we're even doing it? You say, well, how can I know what my calling is? Read the Word. 
very clear. I've been telling you what the, what the calling of God for every person is. Now, that's your vocation. How many of you know the difference between a vocation and an avocation? The vocation is the real calling of your life, the real purpose of your life. An avocation may be the way you're going to make a living in the meantime. It's not the most important thing to you. That's why Jesus said, take no thought about what you shall eat, what you shall wear, and so forth. He says, for your Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He says, know your vocation, and then check out the avocation that God would have you, the channel He had used to provide needs for you. But He said, that's my meat, is to do the will of Him that sent me, and to finish His work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. They said, well, it's four months into harvest. And Jesus looked up and he saw all these people coming out of the village toward him. And he said, don't say the harvest is four months away. Just look. The harvest is white already. The field is white already unto harvest. Here they come. Let's win them. And he preached the gospel to them there. James, the fifth chapter. James, chapter 5, verse 7. When we talk about the harvest being perennial, you know, here in Florida, I love big, red, delicious tomatoes, and I love fresh strawberries. And we have about three crops a year, I guess, in Florida of tomatoes, and I don't know how many, two or three of strawberries. And when I go down to the, the fruit stand when it's not in season, I'll tell you, some of those tomatoes are absolutely pathetic. I think I, I just can't believe that they're selling these things. You know, they're hard and they're green. You cut them out and they've got a big core in them. But boy, when they come into harvest, right now they're, they must be in because I go down there and these nice big red tomatoes and I just love good red ripe tomatoes. Well, when we think about that, there is a continual, there has to be a continual sowing in order that there be a continual harvest. And here in James 5, 7, James says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, Behold, the husbandman, who's the husbandman now? Well, the father is the husbandman. Jesus said, I am the vine, and you're the branches, and my father is the husbandman. Waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. What's he talking about? Souls that are saved. He's waiting patiently for them, and hath long patience for it, until he received the early and latter rain. Now, in Hosea and Zechariah, the promise was made, that there would be early and latter rains for the nation of Israel, as there were before, there would be again in the very last days. In, in May and October, in May were the early rains, and in October were the latter rains. That latter rain would give the last shot that was needed to the crops in Israel for them to have a bountiful harvest. And when Israel was uh, destroyed and, and they were carried off into captivity, the latter rains, early and latter rains, ceased to happen. And the interesting thing is, he said in the very last days that that was going to take place again. And we're told that the early and latter rains are beginning in Israel again. Never has since, but are starting to come again. The early and the latter rains are happening back in Israel again, which he said were going to happen in Israel. Now, if you use that in an uh, allegorical method, what you're saying is there was an outpouring of the Spirit of God at the day of Pentecost, and there's going to be one more outpouring of the latter rain just before Jesus comes again. And right now, there are souls being saved all over Russia and the eastern Baltic nations and in China and in Africa. Uh, there are hundreds of thousands, even millions of them being killed also, but there are many people being saved through that persecution. It's like a latter rain is being poured out in these last days in areas where they've never had it before. 
we have to realize that there were seeds that were sown in China and in other nations where the missionaries had to be come out. Those seeds, even though they took a long time to, to uh, come to life, are coming to life now. And we're seeing that in China during all this time of persecution that the church grew by leaps and bounds. But I want you to understand that when we're called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, that we are called to be steadfast, consistent, always abounding in the work of the Lord, always declaring what the Lord has done in our lives, always declaring the judgment of God to come and the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and then urge men and women to repent of their sins and trust Christ. Now you say, Pastor Webb, that's not easy to do. Jesus never said it was going to be easy. He just said it was a prerequisite and a requirement if we're going to receive a reward when we stand before Him. When he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not just when it feels good, but he said, in season, out of season, exhort, rebuke with all long suffering and doctrine. Continuously. May I ask you, please, don't let these principles just roll off your back. Get them down into your heart. This, this spells the difference between success and failure as far as the ministry is concerned as a church. May I say that again? These principles spell the difference between success and failure in any church. I like what one fellow said one time. There was a this huge church that was just growing by leaps and bounds. And, and someone said to the pastor, it must be incredible that you can get up and just, you don't even have to preach a sermon. You just give an altar call and people come before you ever preach. One fellow says, you know, I think you could get up and say, Mary had a little lamb and give an altar call and the altar be filled. And he said, well, that's all I'd need to say. Because she did. Mary had a lamb. Jesus Christ. But he says, you know why I can do that? Because the members are out there every week witnessing and praying and encouraging and inviting other people to come to church when they come in. The Spirit of God's present there already. They're already under conviction. They already know they have a need. And all you have to do is just give them an opportunity. Come on, come on, accept the Lord. And I thought, wouldn't that be thrilling? Sunday after Sunday to look out and see unsaved people sitting alongside our families and, and realize that they've been witnessing and sharing Jesus Christ with them and then all of a sudden begin to say, just come on and see them come forward and accept Christ and then see the different individuals. You disciplize that one, you disciple that. You know, we'd be getting into New Testament church principle. I want to challenge you to realize the importance of this, that the Lord will take the spirit of fear out of your heart and you begin to witness and share with others about Jesus. You might just give them a book that was a blessing to you and say, read this. This is such a blessing to me. And if you can get it back to me next week, I'd appreciate it. Give them a deadline, you know, so they get it back. Otherwise, you know, they stick it in, in their shelf and it gets stuck there. But just ask the Lord to give you discernment of different ways to witness and share in order to bring people to Jesus Christ. He said, if I'll be lifted up, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. If we lift up Jesus, there's a song that I wish we could sing sometime, Lift Jesus Higher, for all the world to see. How many of you agree with me? How many of you believe that God can use you? All right. Would you bow your head for a moment? You just said you believe the Lord could use you. Would you ask the Lord right now to give you wisdom and direction and remembrance so that you will be used? If there's going to be a harvest, there has to be seed sown, loved ones. Dear hearts, get this down into your heart. The Lord wants you to be a soul winner. He wants you to be a witness for Him. He wants you to be a carrier through the love of Christ being manifest to others by inviting them out. Will you just right now say, Lord, I'm available. If you show me what I can do and how to do it, I'll step out and believe you to use me. Whatever way you see fit. But please, Lord, give me Give me the satisfaction of seeing souls won through my efforts. 
Please let me see some fruit in my ministry that will encourage me to realize you can use me. Will you pray that right now? You can't be too young to do it. You can't be too young to pray that prayer. Lord, I give you my life. Will you use me to win others to Christ? If you're old enough to know Christ in your heart, you're old enough to share with others that you're in your age bracket and in the ones that you come in contact with. Will you tell the Lord, Lord, this month I'm going to believe you to give me, men and women and young people I can witness to, a clear witness of what you've done in my life. And I'll leave the fruit up to you. Father, we ask you, please, give us souls. Give us souls for our hire. As we've declared the word and taught the word and shared the word, I pray that you'll begin to let us see a harvest, that you'll cause men and women to be convicted of their needs, young people to be convicted and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you'll let us fulfill the purpose of this minute that you called us for this ministry. I commit this time to you, Lord, and you've heard every word that we've spoken. And you said we're going to be rewarded at every man according to his own labor. I pray that you'll help us to be laborers, that you'll thrust us forth as laborers into the harvest field this week. I commit this truth to you, Lord, and I just ask that you would just feel it in our heart, that we'll never be the same again, that we'll realize that now the harvest is already white, and that you're looking for those that not only be willing, but with expectancy, share their relationship with you, with others, that the others might find Jesus Christ. I commit this truth to you and to them in Jesus' precious name. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you.